Welcome back to my so-called midlife podcast. I'm Jennifer, and this is episode 134. Update. Another pretty uneventful week. I am learning since not having a car (laughs) to appreciate and enjoy the quiet that my life has become. I mean, it, I think not that long ago, not having anything to report or not really having anything of note happen during the week would have probably made me uncomfortable to admit, but I don't know, maybe it's age, maybe I'm just becoming more settled. I don't mind it as much. I do very little during the week. I, you know, work and take my walks and hang out with the cats. Pretty solitary, but I don't mind it. And I'm actually surprised that I don't mind it, but it's okay. I'm 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 settling into it. <laughs> I did spend a good part of my week reading. Uh earlier in the week I had seen an ad on Instagram for a book and it looked interesting. It's called The Wives. It's written by Taryn Fisher and she is an author that I was not familiar with, but after reading the description the book seemed kind of right up my alley. It it's listed as a psychological thriller. But it's kind of, you know, it's like the beach read of psychological thrillers. You know, it's it's not like too dark or too heavy. It was really good. It's about a woman who shares her husband with two of her other wives. She's aware of the other women and actually goes into the arrangement and agrees to it. And in the beginning, everything is fine. But as her curiosity about the other wives turns to jealousy, things start to unravel. I read this book, I think in about three days. I really liked it. The truth kind of comes out at a good pace and it keeps you guessing all the way to the end. As soon as I finished it, I went back to Amazon and I downloaded another book also by Fisher. Uh, That one is called The Wrong Family. From the description, again, seems like something I would like. I haven't started it yet. I'll let you know if it's any good. Um, I did start another book, and this one was recommended to me by Sister Number Three. It's called Big Swiss. I'm only maybe mm, 30 or 40 pages in, but so far so good. I should be done with it by the time I record next week's episode. So I'll let you know more about it then if it continues to be good. TV podcast recommendations. With the amount of reading I was doing, I actually didn't watch a lot of TV this week. But I did hear about a new podcast. Um, It was actually Georgia on My Favorite Murder who mentioned it. It's called Why Can't We Talk About Amanda's Mom? It's about Renee Bergeron, who was murdered back in 1993. At that time, due to Renee's lifestyle and chosen profession, it doesn't seem like the police took much interest in solving her case. Sort of like, oh well, with her high-risk lifestyle, what did she expect? 
Former police officer Sarah Kalin decides to take over the investigation as a civilian special investigator for uh, the Mobile County, Alabama uh, police station. Sarah is also the host of this podcast. And the podcast covers the three years that Sarah spent investigating the murder of Renee. All All eight episodes are out right now. I have listened to all eight. It is a good podcast, but I will tell you this because I know some people are bothered by this. This is still an open investigation. So if you're the kind of person who needs a kind of a conclusion or, you know, a resolution at the end, you won't find it in this podcast, but it is a very good one. And while listening to that podcast, I heard a commercial for another podcast that I knew I would love. It's called Urban Legends, and it's hosted by the Ghost Brothers. Now, if you're a regular listener, you already know I love the Ghost Brothers. I've watched their shows on Discovery+. Plus. I always like them. I always find them to be very entertaining. I have listened to a few episodes. I listened to a couple yesterday while I was cleaning, and I was literally laughing out loud. I can only imagine what my neighbors must be thinking when they when they hear me laughing for seemingly no reason. I mean, couple that with the times when I'm listening to music through my earbuds and singing along uh, loudly and poorly, I must be a delight to live next door to. But this podcast, it's fun. It's funny. Um... They don't take themselves or their topics too seriously, but I am really enjoying it. All right, now that we're all caught up on my week, let's get into this week's topic. Back. So by now, you're aware of the implosion of the Titan that happened last week. According to the U.S. Coast Guard, it's believed the Titan collapsed due to enormous water pressure. One quote I saw in a BBC article said that, quote, The Titan was so deep, approximately 3,500 meters, that the amount of water on it would have been equivalent to the weight of the Eiffel Tower, tens of thousands of tons, end quote. If one small mercy can be found in this tragedy, it's that if what the Coast Guard believes happened is true, the implosion and the death of the five occupants would have been instantaneous. The five people on board were father and son, Shazada and Solomon Dawood, British businessman Hamish Harding, French diver Paul-Henri Najolet, and the operator of the Titan, Stockton Rush. Shazada Dawood was 48 years old and a prominent Pakistani businessman. He was the director of Dawood Hercules. He was vice chairman of Pakistani conglomerate Engro Corporation and trustee of the SETI Institute in California. He lived in London with his wife, daughter, and son, Suleiman, who was only 19 years old. Businessman Hamish Harding was known to be an adventurer. He was the owner of a company called Action Aviation. In 2019, he was part of a flight crew that broke the world record for the fastest circumnavigation of the globe via both poles. In 2020, he became one of the first people to dive to Challenger Deep in the Pacific Ocean, the area that is believed to be the deepest point of all the world's oceans. He also made two trips to the South Pole, one in 2016 and the other in 2020. Harding was 58 years old. 
Paul-Henri Nergelet was a former commander who served in the French Navy for 25 years. He completed 35 dives to the Titanic wreck and supervised the recovery of over 5,000 artifacts. He served as the director of underwater research at RMS Titanic. Nergelet was 77 years old. Stockton Rush founded OceanGate in 2009. He graduated from Princeton in 1984 and obtained his MBA at UC Berkeley in 1989. He is remembered as a true explorer who had a great passion for exploring and protecting the Earth's oceans. Rush was 61 years old. I followed the details of this story kind of sporadically through the week, hoping against hope that they would locate the vessel and all five occupants would be found alive and safe. Of course, now we know that it is believed that the implosion happened during the descent on Sunday, June 18th, not days later when the story of the missing vessel was making its way through the news cycle. I got updates on Twitter, which is pretty much where I get all of my news. I don't watch any of the network news stations. Instead, I scroll through Twitter headlines, and if there's something I think I need to know more about, I click the link to the story. Now, as you know, I am pretty much afraid of everything, but I am especially scared of two things, deep water and confined or wide open spaces. I wouldn't be caught dead on a cruise and I can't imagine any circumstances in which I would agree to be underwater in any kind of vessel. So the thought of being in a submarine 3,500 meters below sea level gave me such anxiety. While I was following the story last week, I had a hard time reading about the details. I would have to stop because I could literally feel my heart rate increasing and my breathing getting shallow. Of course, what I was seeing on Twitter wasn't just news stories. There were many tweets of just average people expressing their opinions about it. Last week, when it was reported that the vessel was missing, but there was still hope that it could be found, I started to notice people tweeting about it, not about the story itself, but about who was on board. At first, they were making jokes. Distasteful, yes, but that's kind of to be expected, because for some people, nothing is off limits when it comes to getting a laugh. Then, as more time passed and hope was diminishing, I started to notice another trend. Again, not news sources, just Twitter randos. People seemed almost gleeful about the deaths of these five men. Most of what I saw was criticism about the amount of money it cost to be part of this underwater adventure. It's been reported that the cost was 250000 per person. Many people mocked them, saying they got what they deserved, called them selfish and entitled. I don't know why I was shocked, but I was. I couldn't believe that their deaths didn't really seem to matter. Why? Because they were rich? So because you couldn't afford to take that trip, it's okay they died? What kind of reasoning is this? If it was a group of people who were killed on a ride at Disney World, would you say they deserved it because they could afford to take their family to Disney and you can't? What is happening? I found an article in KTLA's news site that talked about this. It mentioned Reddit, a Reddit thread called No Stupid Questions. One of the questions posed was, 
How are so many people comfortable making jokes or criticizing the victims of the Titan submarine? One of the main reasons given was Schoidenfreude, which is a German word, basically means enjoyment gotten from the trouble of others. And we all do it. If you told me there's never been a time when you've taken a tiny bit of joy or satisfaction to see someone else get what you think they deserve, I know you're lying. I've definitely done it, especially if it happens to someone who has wronged me. I like to think of it as karma making things right. The article also said that because the victims were wealthy, that somehow made it easier to be less empathetic towards them. A Pew Research study has shown that Americans' views on billionaires has significantly changed in the last few years. When the study was conducted in 2021, Americans felt billionaires were neither good nor bad. However, that same study conducted just one year later showed an 8% increase in Americans viewing billionaires negatively. Why the increase? Because for the American, for the average American, life got pretty hard from 2020 to 2023. The economy is bad. The price of, well, everything has increased. Inflation is high, lowering the value of the dollar. Basically, everything has gone up except your salary. So in a very human way, it's hard to not get a little resentful knowing there are people in this world with so much money that they can spend on things that we think are wasteful and frivolous while we're barely getting by living paycheck to paycheck. I get it. I remember a time last year when things were pretty tight financially for me, and I was scrolling through Instagram and I came across a video of one of those beauty influencers, and she was unboxing her $10,000 Amazon haul. And at the time, I can remember thinking, wow, read the room, lady. Or as my favorite meme would say, in this economy? But then I thought, okay, everything is relative, right? She has a lot of money. Maybe her $10,000 spent at Amazon is equivalent to me spending $1,000. Okay, let's be real. I'm not spending $1,000 at Amazon. Not all at once, anyway. Just to take a stand and be a little bratty about it, I didn't watch the video. But you know what else I didn't do? I didn't go into her comments or on social media to criticize her. I may have seen her $10,000 haul as wasteful. It's not my money. She earned it. She can spend it however she likes. So last week, when I was seeing all of these negative comments about the victims, I kept wondering why people felt so free to be so unsympathetic. Was it just because the victims were rich? I saw so many people tweeting things like, LOL, billionaires stuck at the bottom of the ocean. Hope they all die. Don't get me wrong. I also have a dark sense of humor. In some of the worst situations in my life, I do have a tendency to make a joke. It's my coping mechanism. But that's my circumstances. I tend to not do that when someone else is suffering. At least I try really hard not to do that. I'm not the only one wondering why we as a society thinks this is okay. Psychologist Dr. Linda Papadopoulos told the BBC that 
We live in a society where tragedy has become something that we've become conditioned to laugh at. And Los Angeles Times writer Jessica Gelt said that she felt that the remoteness and anonymity of social media makes it easier to joke about things you wouldn't normally say out loud. Gelt added that, Imagine for a moment there was a camera inside of the Titan and we could watch the mounting desperation in its hull. If we had to actually look at the pain in the dying man's eyes, would we still joke about it? Some have also speculated that it was the mission itself which caused many to be so unsympathetic. A trip to visit the wreckage of the Titanic, something that seems so indulgent to most people. As one Twitter user said, it's not like they were trying to save the planet. They just wanted to waste their money to say they'd seen it. What has happened to our empathy? A study by the University of Michigan found that college students today are showing less empathy than previous decades, a 40% decline. The study believes the biggest reason for the decline is social media because interactions are not happening face to face. And earlier this year, Scientific American published an article called The U.S. Has an Empathy Deficit. At that time, it seemed our lack of empathy was due to the COVID pandemic and the forced isolation of quarantine. On top of that, the differing opinions on social distancing and mask wearing only caused people to grow further apart. There seemed to be a feeling that no one cared about us as individuals. They didn't have to deal with the same worries that we had every day. How many arguments did you see, either in person or on social media, regarding someone wearing or not wearing a mask when out in public? I still see tweets of people taking pictures of someone on a plane wearing a mask just so they can make fun of them. But I think we've forgotten that even before COVID, you would sometimes see a person out in public wearing a mask, likely due to some immune deficiency. A person could be wearing a mask for all sorts of reasons. Who are we to judge? Maybe they're just wearing a mask due to not wanting to get COVID or any other illness. So? How does their wearing a mask affect you? The public shaming trend is not new. How many years has the hashtag people of Walmart been around? I'd say at least 10. Again, I have to ask, how does what someone is wearing affect you? Why do people care so much about it that they will take the time to stop what they're doing, take a picture, and then post that picture on social media? Every time I see those, I have way more questions about the person who took the picture than the person in the picture. What makes you think you are so much better that you can publicly shame someone? Because if there is one thing I know for sure... No matter where your station in life is currently, there will always be someone doing better than you and someone doing worse. How do you know that it won't be you on someone's social media next? And in a stunning admission of my own lack of empathy, I secretly hope it is. In the Scientific American article, it said that fixing our lack of empathy is not going to be easy because empathy itself is hard to define. It is broad and complicated and can mean different things to different people. Even among the researchers who study empathy, 
they cannot seem to agree on a specific definition. They varied widely from empathy being the ability to imagine others' feelings to a moral stance of being concerned about other people's welfare. And still others believe empathy is just as simple as being a decent person. In an article in Psych Central, psychologists and researchers Paul Ekman and Daniel Coleman say there are three main types of empathy. Cognitive, or an intellectual understanding of someone's feelings. Emotional, which is actually feeling how someone else is feeling because maybe you've experienced something similar. And compassionate, which is a combination of both cognitive and emotional. According to Ekman and Coleman, you don't automatically have all three. The example they give is you might feel sad that someone you love is hurting, but not understand why they're hurting. Or maybe you think they're overreacting because you're having a hard time seeing things from their perspective. Empathy is not the same as sympathy. I found one definition by memoirist Rebecca O'Donnell who said, empathy is walking a mile in someone else's moccasins, while sympathy is feeling sorry their feet hurt. I wish I could tell you a definitive meaning of empathy. I think it's just one of those things that we each define for ourselves. Which reminds me of something I've been thinking about for the past few months, ever since I saw an article about Nepo babies in Hollywood. I was going to do an episode about it, but I was having a hard time formulating my opinion on it. This, as you probably already know, is new to me because I have opinions on practically everything and I don't usually have a hard time expressing them. In the article, some, like Kate Hudson and Jamie Lee Curtis, dismissed the idea that they may have received an advantage over other actors simply because of their famous parents. But others, like Jack Quaid and Bono's daughter, Eve Hewson, admit that an advantage due to their family connections was probably given, even if they weren't aware of it. Eve Hewson is an amazing actress, by the way. If you still haven't seen Bad Sisters on Apple TV, you are missing out. I think the thing I keep coming or kind of getting stuck on was for the people who say they never got an advantage due to their famous families, how would they know? If some producer or creator saw their famous last name and reached out to them for a project because of that last name, unless they specifically told you, how would you know? I can't even answer that for myself. I can say I've never been aware that my status as a white Asian American female never gave me an advantage over someone who isn't white or American or Asian or female. But how would I know that for sure? I have only lived this life in this skin. As hard as we may try, we can't really put ourselves in someone else's shoes. We can't experience their life as they live it. We can make guesses and assumptions based on what we observe, but what it feels like to actually be in their skin, we can just never know. Most researchers agree that while there seems to be a lack of empathy these days, it's not completely gone. We can still turn it around. 
The best advice from researchers is on how to increase our empathy is to take the time to really observe the people around you. Ask how they're feeling and actually listen to their answer. And when they tell you, try very hard not to do what we always do whenever someone else's feelings are involved. Don't say something dismissive like, it'll be okay. One of the reasons why we may be lacking empathy lately is because we've kind of become apathetic to our own feelings. Working on recognizing your own emotions may help you connect with other people. Maybe you don't really care how someone else is feeling. The past few years have been a lot, and many of us are at our emotional capacity. We just don't have the energy to take on someone else's feelings. And honestly, that's okay too. But if that's the case, then just don't ask. It's better to not ask than to pretend to care. And above all, if you find yourself not being able to express empathy for a person or a situation, for the love of God, please don't tweet about it. All right, I'm going to wrap up this week's episode. Thanks for coming back for episode 134. Don't forget, join the Facebook group, my so-called midlife podcast, and like the Facebook page, my so-called midlife podcast. If you're on Instagram, you want to follow me, that's also my so-called midlife podcast. If you like the podcast, tell your friends and then tell them to listen because the second part is the important part. If you have questions, if you have topic suggestions, email me at my so-called midlife podcast at gmail.com. All right, guys. Thanks for listening. Until next time. Love you. Bye.